sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. And uh, let me see, this is not political talk radio. This is something else. And thank God it is not political talk radio. Uh, you agree with me there, Aaron? Oh, I, or are you just going to? Yes. Because that's the climate. Uh, say, say that last part again. You got cut off. Am I going to what? Are you going to disagree just because that's the climate oh, we're in? No, no, I am. Uh, I am not a fan of political conversations um, at all. Not my favorite thing, but I think we do need to touch on a few things uh, today in a way that is is not simply uh, picking a side and finding a choir to preach to. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what breaks my heart right now is that uh, Christian brothers and sisters are, you know, being set apart from one another and and starting to despise and distrust and you know and you know hate and rail against each other uh you know that i don't know i guess i'm having a tough time uh, yeah i and here's the thing i'm having a tough time and it's not like i can tell anybody how to do it uh-huh because uh, i mean i i listen Every political test I've ever taken, I land literally exactly in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. I I really do understand what people are saying on both sides, even yeah. when I disagree. Yeah. That, I didn't mean that to sound arrogant. Um, it's just kind of how I'm wired. And I think because I, as a pastor, I felt like I needed to listen to and bring people to the middle and help them listen to each yeah. other. And yeah. so that was how I navigated life from my early twenties. And now it has become so increasingly difficult because if you, if, if I don't pick a side, I have any number of people that feel like, okay, well then you're out. I, I don't yeah. want to talk to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so that, that, you know, you talked about unity earlier before we started recording, and that's really hard. And there are certainly some issues that um, unity needs to be strained to deal with mm-hmm. certain issues. But then who gets to judge what that is and how it's supposed to come out? There's just there's a lot of judgment on both sides of these perspectives. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I heard a a marriage counselor this week talk about uh, the challenge of establishing healthy communication in a troubled relationship. And what she said is that the way we, when, when she gets, you know, warring partners together and they're in the room together trying to find out whether they can save this marriage or save this relationship. She says, there's something that's just characteristic of where we are when we're in that situation. Here's the thing. We see our side in full color uh, with all its nuance and all its complexity and all its beauty. Uh, but we see our partner or that, that, you know, that person on the other side of the table in black and white. 
and uh, and part of the trick of you know it, it, if that marriage is going to survive, if that relationship is going to survive, I guess it's the role of empathy, it's the role of love, it's the role of listening. We have to learn to um, see uh, the color, the complexity, the nuance, the depth of uh, the point of view of the person we are presently estranged from. And uh, I don't see that a lot. So I don't see it right now on social media. Uh, we caricature anybody who holds a political view that's uh, opposed to ours. And they're simplistic, uh, you know. But meanwhile, uh, we get very offended when they do the same to us because we know that we're not, you know, this simple black and white cartoon that they have, you know, that they're trying to make us out to be. Boy, this, this goes uh, back to that, that hard thing we've said many times uh, that one of the spiritual acts we, we are called to do that is not a fruit of the spirit is humility. Humble yourself yeah. over and over. And it's, it's yeah. one of those few acts that we do that, that yields that spiritual net result. Um, because, yeah, the, the arrogance... Uh, when we focus on the things that we want to focus on and ignore everything else somebody else is doing or saying. Um, and, yeah. and it goes back to that, that other thing that when we, we have our core uh, values challenged, we go straight to our amygdala and mm -hmm. better information does not change our minds. It causes us to get entrenched deeper into a fight or flight mode. Yeah. Which is why the structure of so many of our conversations is unhelpful because mm. it's we just see two groups or two individuals who are dug into the part of their brain that is either fight or flight. And they are trying to give better information to dislodge the other person from that incredibly uh, just animal part of their brain. And it does the exact mm -hmm. opposite, which is why we need to stop those conversations to recognize when it's happening in us or other people and stop and take a breath and come back to a safe and sane place. Because the louder the conversation gets, it's not going to make anybody heard more clearly. Yeah, yeah. And the way to uh, dial it back is actually to listen. I get louder when I feel that I'm not being heard. Somehow an increase of volume is going to make you hear me. What, what calms me down is when you can make my point as clearly as I can. Then I can understand that I have an empathetic listener. Okay, I'm being seen. I'm being understood. That's the way to back it down. Uh, and I'm not speaking as the master of that skill uh, I, I think, uh, you know, my, my capacity for empathy is being challenged right now. Um, I, and I just, uh, I never considered this, Go but ahead. there, there's a marriage tool that I don't think we've talked about on here. Um, 
I, I originally when I I got this in my own marriage from counselors, I was from Pepperdine. It was called the floor, and I've only ever thought of it in terms of marriage. But anybody can use yeah. this, and it's embarrassing to use because it seems childish and nobody likes to follow rules. But if you want to blow the doors off of a hard conversation, do this. Have a physical item. Uh, in our case, we had literally a floor tile that was the floor, and it had the rules okay. written on the floor. And the rules are simply this. Whoever has the floor is in charge of what's being said. They must speak in short pieces of information. So you can't just go on a long diatribe. You say something, and then the right. other person has to say it back to you. They don't have to agree with you. This is not about agreeing, but in their own words, they right. say, so you are saying blank. And if they aren't mm -hmm. saying it back correctly, you say, no, that's not what I'm saying. And you, you stay on that point until the other person articulates it back. The other person right. can at any point say, may I have the floor, please? But the person with the floor can say, no, I, I'm, I want to get to a certain place in this conversation. Then you can have the floor. So they, they have the power to keep talking. And then when the other person asks or when they're done making their five statements, ten statements, they give the floor to the other person. And it keeps going back and forth until both people feel heard. Yeah. It is amazing how that slows the conversation down. I am prone in yeah. my in my marriage the the worst thing that I was well, probably not the worst thing I've done. The the thing I was most prone to do is I would literally have like here's the 10 things I've thought of and figured out, here's what I did, here's what you did. But like yeah. on step 3, I would have offended my wife. So she's pissed off on step three and she's staying there. I stick the landing at step yeah. 10 and think we're done and we're not done. Cause when she talks mm -hmm. next, we're back at the third thing I said, this slows it down. So both people feel heard and goes at a pace that is honoring to both people. Yeah. So if you really want to mess with a conversation with a parent or a sibling or someone close yeah. to you that you're struggling with, I don't know, give it a try. Do you think anybody's going to do that, Nate? Yeah, I think we should. I wonder if there's a way to do that procedurally in the House of Representatives. Oh, man, that would be amazing. Uh, <laughs> oh, my. Well, uh, on the subject of uh, marriage, uh, difficult relationships, uh, there is kind of this uh widely held not as widely as it used to be but still kind of widely held conviction belief uh, within the christian community that uh every christian marriage can should and must survive uh and that we can work through every difficulty and it's incumbent upon us as christians to stick with that relationship until every uh difficulty is resolved or just to suffer through it uh, and, and, you, and if you, you fail to do that, then you are now tarnished in a way that uh, you are forever relegated to a lesser status as a Christian and child of God, if you're even allowed right. to stay at church. Right. If, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, well, we've got, a, we've got a guest today. This is a follow-up on uh, last week's episode when we talked about you know, control, domestic abuse, control violence in the home 
and we talked really empathetically about the abuser, who uh, uh, typically is the guy, but not always, uh, who got, gets, gets caught up in those cycles of control, what we can do. Uh, now we're going to take a look at it. We're going to hear the story of uh, you know, the person who uh, was the target. Uh, uh, we're calling her Becky. Is that true? That's what we're calling her. Yeah. We're calling her Becky. Stick with us. You're going to like Becky. And uh, if you're like me, your heart is going to break for Becky's story. We'll be back in a second here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, Aaron, we have a follow-up this week to our conversation uh, last week, talking about uh, violence and domestic abuse. Uh, We're going to look at the whole issue from a different angle, and you have brought a guest. Would you introduce her? Yeah, we are we are going to call our guest Becky. We're going to we're going to keep this (laughs) semi-anonymous. but I have known her for a long time, and she has an amazing story of uh, surviving abuse and finding life and strength and uh, a deeper relationship with God on the other side. So I'm hoping this will be encouraging and give some good insights. So welcome, quote, Becky. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. You never thought you'd be a Becky, huh? No, I can't say that I did, but that's okay. I, I kind of like it. Yeah, I was thinking I should let you name yourself. This is your big chance to pick your <laughs> favorite. Would you rather be Tatiana? I don't know. We can. <laughs> I'm we'll fine stick. with Becky. It's good. It's All easy. Right. So where do we start? Uh, we want the the listeners to kind of understand from from your perspective, and possibly that'll reflect uh, other other folks perspective that have gone through what you went through where does it start with you growing up and what you were thinking life would be like uh as as a young woman and where you ended up hmm yes so i i like to say that i had what i think is a really good childhood i had you know i was very close with my parents i was very close with my brother my family I saw a really good marriage in my parents. Like they always were together and supportive of each other and encouraging of each other. And I saw that around me all the time, even with both sets of my grandparents and their friends and things like that. So um, sometimes I say that I had kind of a naive idea of what marriage was going to be like because I just saw what I thought was the good of everything when I was a kid. So I was really excited for marriage. Um, I was the kid reading, you know, all the books about the fairy tales and things like that. So I just, I was really excited for marriage. I was someone who wanted to be in relationship and like that sort of deep commitment was important to me. Um, and so I feel like I got, you know, that idea in my head young that I couldn't wait to be married. I couldn't wait to be a wife and a mom and, that it was just going to be great and that sure there would be 
you know, some difficulties, but that they all got worked out. Um, so yeah. And, so and then you met a guy, and it ended <laughs> up being a, a fairly quick and strange. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a whirlwind. Um, and yeah, so I met my cousin brought one of his friends to our town. He was not from here. Um, and I met him and he was charming and exciting because, you know, he had different life experiences than I did. And he seemed like full of adventure and all the things that I thought would be really fun and exciting. Um, and he seemed like, I just remember thinking that he was just the like kindest person that I thought that I had met. Like he always said the right thing to my parents, to me. It just seemed like I had found someone that was, you know, everything that I had hoped for. And then we started dating kind of long distance because he was about eight hours away from where I lived. Um, so we would talk on the phone every night and then he would come see me on the weekends. Um, and we did that for about three months, four months maybe. Yeah, maybe four months. And then he got the call to be deployed because he was in the Marine Corps. Um, and when he got the call to be deployed, it was kind of like, well, we should get married. <laughs> um, and was he proposed his, quickly. So that was his his thought. I, I want to pause real quick in this. And Nate, you you can both weigh in on this. Your version of long distance relationship seems like it's more and more common because of the internet where people meet and are having these conversations but not being around each other for big mm -hmm. periods of time. And did looking back, do you see that as being a, a harmful part of this story? because he was able to just always paint that picture of himself and say the right things and kind of woo your mind? Oh, absolutely. I, I truly believe that anybody can be who you want them to be for a two-hour phone call at night and even for a weekend. It's so easy to be who, you know, to be a different person for that short amount of time. I always say that when he proposed, I think I had spent maybe, and this, this feels so bad to say, but I think I had maybe spent four weekends with him actually in person when he proposed and I said yes. And yet you probably felt like you had an incredibly deep emotional connection because of the hours and hours of just talking. Yes, I did. And that's what I told the people around me that thought, really? You're going to marry someone that you've only known on the phone for like four months? <laughs> so when was the first time that you started to see another side of him? Was it before you got married or after? Yes. Um, there were there were some red flags before we got married. So, and, and you don't have to you be as specific or not as you like. So regardless okay. of what I ask, you answer it however you want, or you just say, Nate, tell Aaron I'm not going to answer that specifically. <laughs> okay. um, no, so with the dating, I I really didn't see what I thought were any red flags. Um, once we got engaged, um, you know, and he had deployed, so he was not here. 
um, it was even easier to think that everything was great because it was mostly letters and a phone call here and there. Um, but once that deployment was over and he came home, we had had we were going to plan our wedding for about a year after that, but then it, he really wanted it to be sooner. Um, so there was he started pushing things up, and we had about two months in person again on the weekends before we actually got married. Um, but that's about when I started to see some red flags, just a sense of control, a sense of anger. I started, you know, he had punched a wall and broke his hand. And when you talked about Mm -hmm. it, it was like, oh, well that was, you know, that's not actually who I am. It just happened. But you know, my thought was, well, I had never seen someone punch a wall and break their hand before. Um, but it was, you know, it was put to me as that I had a very fairy tale childhood and I was being naive. Um, so I thought, okay, I guess that could be true. Maybe I just don't know much about the world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's kind of when I started to see different things and I started to feel uncomfortable is what I would say. Uh, uh, Becky, did, did anybody try to, uh, warn you off? Did anybody, uh, tell you that they were uncomfortable with him as a person or with the match? My family didn't, uh, they, they really didn't know much about him, to be honest. So the only thing that I maybe got told was that it was just too fast. Um, yeah, okay. my, my cousin though, who did bring him to our area in the very beginning, he had told me that in his past, there was an incident where he had been violent, not with someone he was with, but with someone at school. Um, Mm -hmm. But that as far as he knew, it was an isolated incident. So he did try to say like, this did happen. But if you think, you know, that was about 10 years ago. So if you think that everything is good, then I'll trust your judgment kind of a thing. Okay. Gotcha. So then you you get married, and how soon after that did things change? Well, so we actually got married. He wanted it to be moved up. So we got married at the courthouse a month before our actual wedding that was planned. So we got married at the courthouse. We did not live together for that first month. And then we had the actual wedding. And we treated that as if that was when we got married and we were going to, you know, that's when I moved in with him. But the weekend of the wedding is actually when things changed. So before the actual wedding, but at this point I was already married. Um, Mm. People just didn't know that because we had already gone to the courthouse, but that's really when things started to change. Like he had gotten into a massive brawl at a bar the night before the wedding. So he showed up the day of our wedding when I had, you know, we had a very big wedding, like 400 people and I had lots of family and he showed up to the wedding with a huge black eye and a cut above his forehead and, wow, and, and, you know, and kind of setting the stage of like, I don't know how it happened. It was always, I don't know how it happened. (laughs) It just, someone picked a fight with me and I, you know, I couldn't, they just, fought me out of nowhere kind of a thing. But, but all of my wedding pictures had, you know, a beaten up face and 
So things really started to change that weekend. And I remember, vividly remember, when we packed up the trailer of my things so that I could move to where he was at, which was eight hours away from my ha- my family's house. I remember getting in the car and putting my sunglasses on and crying and just being like, oh, no, it's just because I'm, you know, I'm leaving my family. But I had this, like, sense of dread almost, and I didn't know what to do with it. Hmm. That is definitely not the the wedding that you had imagined, but we're definitely hearing echoes of our conversation last week, right, Nate, as far as the the control and the power. And even as you're talking about him changing the plans and changing the plans, and then um, I'm sure it was not your idea or desire to be like, let's just get married in front of a judge and... (laughs) Because this is no. what what I want, so it sounds like there was a, a pretty steep ramping up of what I want is what's going to happen. Did you yeah. push back at all in those times, or did you just feel like you couldn't, or you were just being nice? Like what was happening inside of you? Because I'm sure you had never been with someone uh, in your family in your life that had that kind of control and could make those demands on you. So what was happening inside of you? as that was changing. Yeah. Well, you're right. So I had not encountered someone like that before. Um, and I felt like I was a pretty confident teenager, pretty confident kid. And so I, at the beginning, I would say things like, no, I really don't want to do that. I don't see the need for that. And it would usually get turned into like, well, I just don't know. I'm really naive and I am just not Basically, I'm not smart enough to know, but it wasn't put to me that way because I think that then I would have been more offended. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But it was usually put to me as, well, he just had more life experience and I was a couple years younger than him and I was naive and this, these were all the reasons why and he knew and he was trying to take care of me and it started when we were engaged is when he started to kind of set the stage of like, my family doesn't actually love me as much as I thought that they did. And they don't really want what's best for me, but he loves me and he wants to take care of me. And so like he was doing what was best for me when nobody else was. Mm. So he's isolating you both physically and emotionally from all of your support systems. Yes. Yeah. And then it just, Go ahead. That's a, that's a pretty key move uh, for abusive kinds of people, I think, a lot of times, because they, they don't want their spouse to be around people that are going to be shining the light on their bad behavior. Hmm. And so, yeah. and, and again, uh, I think for folks that have been in this, they are made to feel like they are crazy, mm-hmm. that they're stupid, that... And that can be very subtle. But even in the story, I think we're hearing, and and you can see, you have so much insight on this now, um, mm-hmm. where you're at in your life, that you can kind of see how you are being groomed to not yes. trust yourself. Yes, exactly. And now that I have the insight, I can see that. But at the time, it it truly did not, like, it was not obvious to me. It was, it was not something I was, I was not someone who went into this thinking like, well, I just want someone to tell me what to do. Like that was not my personality. Um, 
it took, he did a very good job of breaking me down and molding me into that because the longer that I was away, because once I got physically away from my family, I think it was a lot easier for him. Um, Being eight hours away was a lot easier for him and more difficult for me to kind of trust myself because now I really was in a situation that I had never been in before. I had never lived anywhere else. I had never lived with anyone else. Um, So now in my mind, I really was in a situation where I wasn't the expert, (laughs) if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so where did it go from there? You are now living eight hours away, away from family and friends. And how does, how does thing, how do things start to begin to get into that abusive situation? Honestly, they began really quickly, um, like much more quickly than I I could have imagined. Because there was parts of me, like I said, that felt like I I could sense that something was off. But it seemed within the first month of being there, there was it was like I was in boot camp. Um, there was a whole bunch of really strict rules um, about everything to the way I loaded the dishwasher or the way that I made the bed or all sorts of things like that, that very quickly realized that if I didn't do them to that exact (laughs) way, then he was very upset and his rage would turn at the beginning. It would just turn into like, he was throwing dishes. Like one time I loaded the dishwasher and he didn't think it was correct. And he just took all the dishes out and just like literally threw them all on the ground. And we had broken dishes everywhere that I was cleaning up the rest of the night. So like it started with actual items physically before it was anything to do with me. Um, but again, I had never seen this sort of, I had never seen this at all. I had never, I came from a family where my father I had never even heard him raise his voice, to be honest. So I just felt like it very quickly. I thought, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And I don't know what to do with this. Like, I really did not know what to do. I had no idea of how I should handle it other than to try to keep him as happy as possible so that another, like, outburst wouldn't happen. (laughs) And So so did you think, I mean, saying that, I'm trying to trying to climb into your mind and heart, were you believing that you were responsible for this, that this was your fault and you could make it go away or you thought, okay, this isn't my fault, but I can keep it from happening? At the beginning, I felt like this was not my fault, but I can try to keep it from happening. Um, and, And because of the cycles that he had, I was the type of person that wanted to talk about after, you know, he would come and say he was sorry and he loved me and he didn't know what happened. And so I would want to try to have the conversation about like what's going on and why, why is this where you went? And it would always, you know, turn to, I, I have my own hurts, but I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to take it out on you and I don't want to do this to you. And, and I'm just really sorry. So I tried to come at it at the beginning, very compassionate thinking, (laughs) this sounds so silly now, but thinking like if I loved him well enough, then it would go away. Nate, tell me what you're hearing 
as you're hearing about a person who's who's seemingly taking responsibility, but not changing, but infusing enough hope into the situation to keep a person hooked. Yeah, I'm having a difficult time emotionally because uh, this is this tracks so much with uh, a very a story very personal to me. Uh, you know, my, my daughter's first marriage, which happened when she was very young and naive to a very controlling uh, person. And I, I remember how desperate I was to try to save her, to rescue her, and how effectively he undermined. I thought I had this wonderful connection, emotional, deep, trusting connection with my daughter. And... Um, uh, Becky, when you said that he was able to convince you that your family hadn't really loved you as much as you thought they did and that he's the one who really cared, man, that's just textbook. That is exactly what this guy did to my daughter. And I, I felt so helpless. And uh, it was just such a dark chapter in our family's life. So I'm sitting here trying to follow. The, I am following the story. Um, but this is this is getting very, uh, very personal to me and I'm feeling it on a deep emotional level and what I'm feeling personally is, is my old uh, rage against the guy who raided my family and stole my daughter and I was afraid he was going to kill her frankly mm-hmm. um, yeah anyway it, well, it, it's uh, thanks for sharing that yeah, yeah, but and but Kristen also very compassionate and you know understanding and I here's the thing early on when I became aware of some of his patterns I also was compassionate. Mm. Um and I also counseled my daughter to understand I so regret it now. I think there was one time when she could have exited early and I I talked her into staying. Um, not understanding what, uh, you know, what was actually going on with the control and the abuse and myself falling into this line of thinking, which to me just seemed very Christian that, uh, you know, if we're empathetic enough, compassionate and caring enough, that certainly, uh, you know, every relationship can be redeemed. Well, we're going to get into that in a few minutes, so let's put a pin in that, and yeah. let's hear, uh, you don't have to get into the specifics of uh, how things uh, went, or you can, you can say whatever you like, but give us a brief like, okay, this is when I knew it was getting out of control, and I'm also curious if you talked to anybody else about it during that time or when the mm. first time you reached out was. Yes. So we had been married about a year when the first actual physical thing to me happened, um, other than like throwing things or breaking dishes and things like that. Um, and that was really the first time that I felt like this is progressing and what I'm doing in trying to love you well and trying to love basically your hurt out of you, as naive as that sounds, is not working. Um, and I remember thinking one time, like, 
if love doesn't work, I really don't know what will. <laughs> like I was so lost on thinking, I just don't know. And I, at this point in my life, um, I really didn't know God very well. I didn't know Jesus at all. Um, I had maybe gone to church on Christmas and things like that. And I remember there was one incident where a night where I truly thought, like, I'm not going to make it through this night. Um, and I remember locking myself in a closet and just praying, thinking like, okay, God, if you see me and if this is something that you can help me with, then I promise I will go tomorrow to a church and I will try to like find someone to talk to. <laughs> like, I just, just get me through this night is what I remember praying and sitting in that closet. And then the next morning came and I was still there and I just felt like, okay, so I went on to the base, to the church on base, and I walked in the back door and I basically said I wanted, like, do they have a Bible study or something? And they kind of connected me with a women's Bible study on base. And I went to that a couple of times um, and I met a couple of women because I he didn't really want me to know any of his friends or their wives or anything like that. So I, I had been very isolated for that first year. Mm. And, and I met a couple of women in this Bible study and I, I talked to them very vaguely about it. Just curious, you know, what their experience was because I had only been a part of the military family for a year and they both kind of echoed the same thing that, um, people who come back from war are going to be angry and they're going to take things out on us. And they kind of encouraged me to continue to try to love it out of him. And so I took that as, that's when I really started to internalize it as, now I was the one that wasn't doing enough. I wasn't the, I was the one that wasn't measuring up because the way that it was portrayed to me was that they obviously had loved it out of their men, so I needed to love it out of mine, and I wasn't doing that. So that's when I started to kind of take the shame on myself of like, why can't I fix this? Like I'm hearing this sounds like they did. Um, granted, I only knew like, you know, a, a little nugget of their story. Um, and I really don't think that it's talked about in that environment. Um, but the fact that it the, the rage seemed so normal made me feel like, okay, maybe I was making too much out of it. Um, despite the fact, despite the fact that I had just had a night where I truly didn't think I was going to live through it. Um, mm. so that's kind of when my, my thinking started to shift and I started to take it onto myself. And about two months after that, um, you know, and it's still, it, it was still bad. It, nothing got any better, but, um, about two months after that, he got out of the military and we moved back to the town where I lived and my family lived. And that's really when things started to change, where I started to really see, you know, now I'm around people, but I'm not allowed to be around them. And that's when I started to really realize, no, this is you doing this to me. Like now I'm not allowed to see my family and I wasn't allowed to have my own cell phone. Um, things that, 
you know, when I moved back, I thought life was going to be better because I was going to have a support system, but I still didn't because I wasn't allowed to. And that's kind of when I started to realize this, something has to change. I can't do this. I'm not going to live through this. And so I, I reached out to a local church and told them that I needed marriage counseling. All right. So this, this is a, a shift. You've now reached out and the place that makes sense is the church. church. They're going to, they're going to love me. <laughs> yeah. They're going to care for me. And this, we touched on it last week, but, uh, getting to walk through, uh, this part of your story, um, th- this, this is very personal to me and also made me feel very afraid for other people who are in abusive situations and some of what they're going to encounter. So you went to the church and asked for counseling. Yes. I asked for marriage counseling. And at this point, I was the one, I felt like I was taking all of the responsibility. Like I was taking it as like, I don't know how to be married. I'm not being a good wife. Like in my head, those were the reasons why this wasn't working. So I went to marriage counseling thinking, to be honest, maybe they'll teach me how to be better. Um, and, and I kind of put it to that. Like I did not go into the first session when I talked to them and told them this is what's happening. <laughs> I, I just let him know that you know, we're not communicating well and I feel hurt and he feels hurt. And I tried to take as much responsibility as I could, probably too much. Um, so yeah, uh, definitely too much, but, but why, why do you think it's because you had been conditioned to believe that or you felt like you needed to take responsibility to get the kind of help you thought the church could give? Like, why Why did you make that choice? Because I think other people can walk into that situation and make a similar choice. Yeah. Um, I definitely had been conditioned to think that way, but I also think that because, um, because I had not had any experience with the church really. Like at this point I had only maybe gone to church on base for about two months and then we moved here. So I really didn't have much experience with the church other than I felt like repent. (laughs) Like that's what I hear so often or like confess or whatever. So I feel like I walked into it thinking like, well, I want to be really open about the fact that I don't, I'm not perfect and I don't know how to do this. Um, and so maybe I can be taught and I'm, I'm always, that's my personality though, is I'm, I feel like I'm a forever student. Like I, I will always want to be taught. So I, that's kind of how I went into the situation, not realizing in the slightest what was headed my way, but. So what was headed your but way? Wanting what to be next? as moldable as possible. Um, we went to quote unquote marriage counseling, um, for like three months together. We were always in the same room together. Um, (laughs) and he, he was very charming. He was the person that had charmed me and my family before, um, to the people that were counseling us. And it was a husband and a wife. So there was a male and a female there. But I felt like every time I would walk away, I felt like that whole room 
was like wooed by him and he would he would for sure take responsibility for some things like he 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 it seemed like he knew the exact amount to give before he took so he would say things like i know that i hurt her this week and i said something that was really rude but it wasn't my intention and it wasn't my heart and and he would start throwing in all of a sudden like things like i know that you know this part in the Bible calls me to do this. And it's like, what? When have you ever picked up a Bible in your life? Like things like that to where they would walk, like we would walk away and they'd be like, you guys are doing so great. You guys are just wonderful. Like you guys are going to do great. You guys are going to end up on the yeah. other side of this, like counseling others. And it's like, what? <laughs> like it was bizarre. Yeah, right. So did you hit a point where you felt like you needed to disclose more of the specific things that were going on? Yes. So in the parking lot of the church one Sunday, um, he, we, we, we had parked far away from the church. It was, it's a bigger church, but, um, one Sunday after church, we had gotten into an argument or I, now I like to say that he had gotten into an argument. Cause I don't really think that I even argued. I didn't, I just listened. Um, but something physical happened in the parking lot of the church. And I remembered sitting there thinking, we just went to a session yesterday where you all told me that we're all doing so great (laughs) and this is what's happening. And I just felt like nobody actually knows what's going on. Nobody cares at this point because, you know, I just felt like it was so surface level. So the next day when he went to work, I went in and I felt like going in and trying to tell them that things were not as great as they seemed. I did not, I will say that I did not disclose the severity of the situation, but I did say that, um, you know, he was very angry and he, I, I disclosed things like he threw things all the time and he would punch walls and things like that. And I remember both of them looking at me and saying like, oh, that's really concerning. You know, he probably needs some, some stronger counseling than we can give you guys, but you just need to hang in there with him. You just need to continue to support him and encourage him. And I know he's, he's got his own past and he's told us that, right. Cause he had been forthcoming with some of his hurts in the past, his past. And so I, they sent us to a different counseling, like professional counselors, And when we went to those counselors, we had been to them three times. We went once a week. And the third time, it was another husband and wife um, licensed counselor. That guy actually told us in front of him, he told me, you need to get out of this marriage or you are not going to survive. And he says, I'm Mm -hmm. telling you both that I'm advising you to separate. You need to get away. You are not healthy for her and you're going to hurt her. And they didn't even have the, like, I hadn't even told the stories that I wished I could tell. They had been able to pick up on different things that he had been saying and doing. And so that's when I had kind of gone back to the church and told them they advised that we separate. The church immediately said, no, we don't advise that. Do not separate. We we obviously want you to be safe, but we're going to hook him up. If that's what they think, we're going to hook him up with a mentor, and basically that'll take care of things for you. Um, because if they, and they full on told me the statistic of people when they separate is they get like 87% get divorced. 
And we just don't want right. you to become a statistic. So you should not separate. So this is when you were starting to learn the lesson that there are some folks that definitely care more about saving the marriage so it's not a divorce statistic than to protect you at that moment. Yes. Um, and I, I, looking back now, I, I find it sad to think of how little of a voice I had in the whole situation because I didn't say anything. I thought, okay, if that's what you're telling me to do, then I will do it. I will try to love him better. I will try to encourage better all the things. Um, and basically, as we're, we're getting a little bit farther, we got now a few weeks out of that, and then one more incident happens, and I'm, I, I, I truly thought, I sat there and I prayed, and I thought, God, I'm, I'm going to die in this home. And if you don't want me to leave, if you think that I'm sinning by leaving, if you think that this isn't what you want, that's not, you know, because I had been now hurled things about divorce for the last two weeks. They were giving, after they gave statistics, that they then gave me all the, you know, verses on divorce and, and how I needed to just stick it out and I could do it kind of a thing. And I truly thought, like, God, I can't, I can't do it. I'm really sorry. And I remember thinking, praying, if this means I go to hell, then I guess I'm going to hell because I have to leave. And that's where my head was at, was that I felt like in that moment, my options were leave and go to hell or stay and God will still love me. And I was so terrified for my life at that point that I actually chose leaving, thinking that God was not going to have me anymore. Wow. Wow. But this is not the end of the story. And I'm watching the time. Don't worry, Nate, because we do have another interview we're doing tonight. But man, I don't want to rush you at all. I almost said your real name, <laughs> Becky. <laughs> ain't, ain't easy. Uh, so just I, I want to get to this hopeful place and hopefully some of what you've learned that if you could speak to the younger you or other people who are in your situation, what what they need to know that you didn't. But take us to the place where you you emerged out of this, not a broken person. You you are not a broken woman. I will tell you that. <laughs> You're a strong uh, and compassionate and wise lady. Thank you. Um, I, yeah, so I left, <laughs> obviously, and I got a divorce. And I left the church um, that I was going to. Not honestly, not by my own choice, but I got kicked out. Um, You're kidding me. Yeah, no, I I got told that I was not oh. welcome back because I made the choice to get a divorce. So I kind of started over um, and met my now husband after the divorce and was trying to get a footing. And someone told me, about this is how it was put to me. Someone told me about a church that <laughs> literally they said, there's a church in, you know, a town over that you will, you'll probably really like because they totally like sinners. <laughs> 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 so 
They said that ain't, that, go- that, that ain't a bad recommendation. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> so they said go check it out and you know see what you think. And we went, and it was Aaron's church, and it was very chill. And um, <laughs> I, I it's did hard to, though. It's I hard did to be not- too uppity when you're in a triple wide mobile home. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was, but it was like so different than what I was, had been experiencing for the last two years. So very different for me. Um, but I, I did come into it thinking I can't tell anybody my story or they're not going to want me. (laughs) So I went into it very much thinking like, I want to go back to church and I want to talk to God again, but nobody here can know that I walked away from a marriage and I was supposedly a Christian. Like that's how I was thinking. Um, but then you, Aaron, spoke on Luke 11, I'm pretty sure, and talked about Jesus going in and wrecking the party for us. And it was a just a completely different take on the gospel than I had ever, ever heard. And I walked away feeling like, okay, maybe God really does love sinners. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds so crazy, but it's it's true. It's how the world in my world was. Um, so yeah, so I reached out to, well, you and Dane and kind of shared a little bit about my story and asked if I could do what you were calling soul architecture. And yeah, we dug into that really hard for a couple of years and you helped me change the biggest thing for me was not necessarily changing my story, but was changing what I believed about God. So once I changed what I believed about Him, um, then I was able to, it changed my story. Like literally, you always say looking back with gospel lenses, and it did. I suddenly had my gospel lenses to put on that now I could look at my story from a different viewpoint. And that changed, that was a game changer for me. You did such hard work, and it was amazing um, to watch. But now on the other side, uh, you have been able to walk with other people through their stories. And so looking back, now speaking to our listeners, what what would you tell them if they're in that place where they're isolated, they're maybe being isolated or they're ashamed or they're only feeling like they can tell part of the story to anybody? What would you tell them to do to start taking a step towards freedom and God's love, that it's not an either or? And I don't necessarily mean freedom as in go get a divorce because we don't know their situation. Yeah. But that they don't, have to stay in bondage and fear uh, or risk God's love? Yes. Well, I think that the, the first thing that I would say is that the lines are a lot blurrier and grayer than you've probably been led to believe. Um, <laughs> and that before God sees things like the actual rule and the law, before those things, he sees you as his child. And if my dad, who's imperfect and broken, um, 
if he can want something better for me, or like you were saying, Nate, like the feelings that you had for your daughter, if you can have those things, God's going to have those magnified by a trillion. Um, So he's not going to want you to be hurting in that way. That's not what he wants for you. And I think just, just knowing that from the beginning and just feeling like that sort of weight that you feel like you're supposed to be suffering under is not what he wants you to be suffering under. Not saying go, you know, like you said, not saying go get a divorce or whatever. That's not answering the question, but just kind of knowing that you're a child first before like a member of the church. That's yeah. that's what I wish that I would have known is that God sees me as his child before a member of the church. Um, and that, the you know, uh, the other thing that's really important is when you do share your story, like, yes, share it, but it's important who you share it to um, because not a lot of people know how to correctly handle the information given to them. Um, and I don't know what that looks like for you, but I, I know that I wish that I would have been a little bit pickier on who I trusted in that spot. If that makes sense. Yeah. And we can direct you back to last week. We talked about what are some of the questions to ask when looking for help and also, I mean, I wish we could just put this information up for everybody, but it, it, there are, you know, you're all over the place. But if you just Google a hotline for domestic abuse in your area, you're going to get some phone numbers to call with people that can at least direct you towards those first steps that might be able to give you the support and encouragement to find your courage to to step away from a situation that might be really dangerous, but that's scary. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's really, really scary on a lot of levels, but there are people in your town who have walked through this before and have the experience to help you navigate those first steps. And then you'll be yeah. able to recognize bad advice as well. Because if you're not hearing somebody with experience, then when you're being told, like, those ladies on the base were probably so well-meaning, but that was Mm -hmm. the exact wrong thing that you needed to hear. Mm -hmm. But you couldn't recognize that because you hadn't heard the right stuff. Well, Becky, we are so out of time. I appreciate your courage in telling this story and being so open. I hope hope uh this was just what some of our listeners needed to hear tonight yeah thank you thank Thank you you. so much yeah thanks for having me all right listeners stick with us we'll be back in a moment on the pirate monk podcast And we are back on the Pirate Monk podcast. That was that was awesome for me to get to to hear. 
Uh, I'll tell you, Aaron, I was on the verge of tears, really, when she uh, talked about the, you know, the hope that was reborn uh, when, you know, she heard the gospel and got a new set of lenses and, uh, you know, and the role that you got to play in uh, that part of her story. Beautiful. The gospel is just so beautiful. And uh, yeah, it was very inspiring. It, it was such an honor to get to be a part of that. And, and I, I will say as a follow-up that uh, she she did get to have some people from that church come and ask for her forgiveness for not really, it, which I I think is great. I think the church is not always the best place for people to go who are in that situation, only because people aren't experienced mm-hmm. in it, not because they're bad people, right? And right. as well intentioned as they may be. Um, they can miss some important things that are dangerous. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I just I just hope the listeners were encouraged and uh, and just that that they're reminded how amazing the gospel is to bring healing to incredibly broken parts of each of our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love to hear uh, our listeners take on uh, the last two episodes uh, love your comments love your feedback uh, you can always reach us at pirate at gmail.com so please uh, let us know and I, any opposing uh, view any supporting view yeah, yeah and go I want to throw this out that this is a very complex subject in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. there are just so many different stories and so I can yeah. imagine for some listeners you heard this and it hurt in ways because it didn't represent your story. We so know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this has to be something that starts those conversations with people in your life. Uh, and that we aren't, aren't trying to say that this is just a, a simple solution to a complex problem. Right, right, right. Uh, and just as we would not say, that um, the divorce is out of the question. So we would also not say uh, divorce is always the preferred solution. Yeah. Uh, Can we touch on that for just a moment? Because it's important. Sure. Yeah, yeah, go. Uh, So often the the passage that's thrown out is that God hates divorce. Yeah. And A, there's a whole context of that passage but the bottom line is we all hate divorce. I've never met anyone Christian or yeah. non-Christian who's like, no, no, I'm, I love divorce. It's painful. It's Big fan nothing. of divorce, yeah. 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 But when we go back, even Jesus quotes Moses when he talks about divorce mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, that the, the core of divorce comes from the hardness of our hearts. And yeah. that God had an intention and an ideal with creating marriage as part of what we would experience in discovering his person. But it's flawed because we are flawed. And God knows that. This doesn't surprise him. So we need to look at this with a a much more compassionate and bigger lens uh, than, than we have. 
Uh, and so just, I guess I'm just calling for a little bit more tenderness than I have experienced mm-hmm. and seen in the body of Christ, especially when someone's going through the pain of divorce and they find themselves yeah. on the outside of the very community that needs to be holding them close and loving them well. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Well, uh, time has flown, Aaron. Uh, we have reached the end of another episode. Been great to reconnect. Uh, we have more great conversations lined up for the weeks ahead. It's going to be a good year on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Until next time, then. I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. <laughs> Did I get there too quick? Did I surprise you? No, no. There's there's a weird delay. I noticed that during the interview. I said it at the right time. Okay. It was it's good. Oh, is it? Okay. All right. <laughs> and uh all right. Uh even though there is a weird delay, we are your pals on the Pirate Monk The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>